Uh, again, it's always a joy for Joni and I to be here. One of the reasons I love coming to your church is because of, uh, I, as Pastor Wayne has talked about, I love your pastor and his family and how they lead you. And then I know this is always one of the trips that Joni can go with me on. So this is uh, important for me as, as well. I do want to remind you that as you are gathered together on this Sunday worshiping, and, and spending time in God's Word, there are about 65 other faith communities that you're a part of around Arizona, Nevada, and California that are worshiping at the same time. And those congregations or those faith communities range in size from seven people to over 2,000 people. So the size of a congregation means absolutely nothing. It's God's people coming together to praise and worship, encourage one another in the Lord, and to walk out of there more invigorated and ready to be God's example and God's representation in the world that they encounter. And that actually is what we're going to be talking about today. In fact, if you want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, we're going to be in the, in the book of Luke more often than not. I will refer to some other verses as well, but I don't expect you to kind of flip flap back and forth. But if you're in the book of Luke, uh, we'll be able to uh, kind of traverse through there in a couple of places that we'll stop and chat and talk. Now, I want to know, first of all, how, I don't know how many of you are late night talk people. I used to be a more of a late night person until, uh, well, until I either got more smart or just got more mature, which is my word for older. And uh, so uh, sometimes staying up till 11, 11.30 at night is, is not my idea of a, of a good time. And so, but there, but there, how many of you know who Jimmy Fallon is? Okay, most of you probably at least heard, you may not have seen him on the show itself, but you probably heard of Jimmy Fallon. How about Jay Leno? Okay, we're getting, now this is the tough one. How many of you know who Johnny Carson is? Oh, wow. And I know some of you are like, I have no idea who Johnny. Well, before Jay, Jimmy Fallon, before Jay Leno, and actually, if you, some of you who are really following that, you would know there was a short time frame where Conan O'Brien was in there. Then there was Jay Leno again. And before those guys was a guy named Johnny Carson. And he did this thing for a long time on The Tonight Show. Well, Johnny Carson used to have this little shtick that he did as part of his show called Karnak the Magnificent. I think we have a picture of him right there. And uh, those of you who can recall that and those of you who don't, what he would do is he, would, he had an envelope, as you can see in his hand, and he would hold it up to his head. And here's what the deal was. He would give the answer to the question in the envelope. It was kind of like reverse Jeopardy. You ever play Jeopardy where you have to give the, you have to give the answer in a question? Well, it was reverse Jeopardy. So he would give an answer, and then he would open up the envelope, and unbelievably, he had the answer to the question in the envelope. Now, there's a question in here. Of course, I have never seen this question. So I am going to drive my version of Karnak, the Magnificent. I'm going to hold it in my head here, and I'm going to come up and see if I can come up with the, with the answer to the question in this envelope that I have never even seen before. And Okay, let me think about this for a minute. Okay, here's the answer. Not in church. Okay, that's the answer. Now, I'm going to open up to see what the question was and see if indeed I got it right to this question I have never seen before. Okay, here's the question. Where do people spend most of their time? <laughs> I think I got that right. Not in church. Isn't that true? You know, regardless of how active you are here at East Parkway, Regardless of how committed you are to this particular faith community in Granite Bay, California, when you think about it, you spend more time not here than here. Now, that has nothing to do with your commitment to this faith body. It has nothing to do with that. But just because of our, our lives and what goes on, we spend more time not in church than in church. 
And that's really what I want to talk about today. If that's the case, if we spend more time not in church than in church, then we need to understand what it means to be Jesus in the places where we spend most of our time. And I'm going to be talking this morning about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And, and what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is the redemptive reign of God. In other words, the kingdom of God is God's reign on this, his redemptive reign on this earth. And what we know is that the kingdom of God was very important to Jesus's ministry. It was central to Jesus's ministry. Yeah, I get the fact that we understand he came and he died on the cross. We have forgiveness of our sin. He rose again. So we have a stamp of approval that says that thing that I said I could do, which forgive your sin and give you eternal life. Well, I rose to say I can do what I said I could do. But in the process of that, he has this ministry, and it's very important to what I would call the sent ministry of Jesus. Because if you read uh, John chapter 17, and we're going to allude to that in just in a moment, but don't go there, is that there's this, that we know that God sent Jesus into the world. And part of that sent ministry was a declaration of the kingdom of God or the redemptive reign of God. In Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 43, and this is the New Living Translation in case it happens to sound a little bit different to you. Here's what it says. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. Verse 43, but he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because this is why I was sent. So he had to, to preach. He had to teach the kingdom of God, the redemptive reign of God. Why? Because that was why he was sent. So he, would, Jesus was sent to declare the redemptive reign of God. And, and the reality is Jesus sends you and me to do the same thing, to do the exact same thing. It says in, in John chapter, uh, uh, John, excuse me, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says this. One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Verse 2, then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So, so what happened? He sent them out to declare the redemptive reign of God, the redeeming reign of God. And, and again, just as they were sent out by Jesus, he continues to send out his followers. In John chapter 17, verse 18, where it says, just as you, this is Jesus, and it's actually his high priestly prayer. You know, we, we all, we would say, well, the Lord's prayer, and we, our Father who art in heaven, I say that's the Lord's prayer. Well, that actually, this is really the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> By that, I mean in John chapter 17, where he actually prayed for us. And, and, and the Lord's Prayer was his way of teaching his followers how for themselves to pray. Well, this is really the Lord's Prayer. If you define the Lord's Prayer as that which he prays for us. And in John chapter 17, verse 18, it says, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, talking to his Father, 
I am sending them into the world. And, and it hasn't changed. The sentness that Jesus gave to his disciples there who he was praying for is also the prayer he prays for us because in that chapter as well, he talks about those who have come to know him through the message of his disciples, really, logically, is us. So he was praying for us at the same time that just as God has sent him into the world, he was saying, I am sending those who are my followers, those people who say they know me and are in relationship with me, I am sending them into the world. And we're in the world as Christ ambassador. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, beginning with verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and, gay, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we can be made right with God through Christ. We are to be reconciling people to God. We are there to be the redemptive reign of God because Jesus came to save or redeem the world. Now, most of us at least know of, and most of us probably could quote John 3, 16. Great verse. Depending on what translation you learn it in, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so whoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Very important. But sometimes we stop, we don't go into verse 17, because in John 3, 17, it says this, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So he sent his son to die for us, but then he did that because he didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world through his sacrifice on the cross. So if we understand that the kingdom of God is a redemptive reign of God, and if we understand that we are sent and we are to be ambassadors, and what does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents their country in another country. That's exactly what they do. They don't represent themselves but they represent their country. The United States has ambassadors all over the world, and they're not there representing themselves and their opinions, what they think is right. They're there to represent the United States of America to that foreign land. And in essence, once we have walked into a redeemed, redemptive relationship with God, and as we are told, we are now a new creation, well, now we have gained that Mantle, if you please, all of us as ambassadors. And we are here to represent the kingdom of God in this country that we are now somewhat aliens in. Now, we're going to talk about this later, but the good news is this. Unlike ambassadors that go to a different country to represent us there, we are representing Christ in a country that we are indigenous to. We know the language. We know the culture. 
We know the customs. We don't always agree with the customs or like the customs, but we understand them. We get it. And we are here to be ambassadors for Jesus. But, but how do we live in our capacity as sent people? How do we live out our ambassadorship, if you please? And part of that is still getting a handle on what the kingdom of God is. And even though we talked about it as a, as a redempt, as, as the fact that it's God's redeeming power in the world, just like then, we sometimes come back and say, but yeah, well, what is it really? What is the kingdom of God really like? And in Scripture, Jesus spends time, and I love it, there, he'd be a, he would be a, a, great, a great tweeter today. Because they're a short, concise thing. He would, this could be, a, what I'm going to share, he could tweet this. And he probably would if he was walking around today. He would tweet this. And in, and in Luke chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, this little sound bite, this little tweet, if you please, he was asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? And here's his tweet. It is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So here he is trying to give a descriptor of this kingdom of God. He's trying to give a descriptor of what the redemptive reign of God looks like. And he says it's like yeast. And, and yeast is an agent that interacts with, with, with flour and water, and, this, and it causes a chemical response in light, light of that. And it causes things to rise, if you please. And so if he says the kingdom of God is like yeast, where a woman just put a little bit into the dough and it infiltrated all of the dough, then hopefully that will give us an idea of how we might be ambassadors, ascent people in our culture in which we exist. Because the nature of yeast is to grow and change whatever it contacts. So the nature of being the redemptive presence of God in the world, the nature of being ambassadors in our world is that we are to change and grow in whatever we come in contact with. And that's what we're going to be looking at as we continue on this morning. See, the kingdom of God begins to exert its influence from within, not from without. And that's the first thing that I want us to see. is simply this. The nature is, excuse me, the, the kingdom of God influences from the inside out, not the, outs, not the outside in. So as representatives of Jesus, as ambassadors, we, we begin to influence from the inside of culture out. Not trying to lay over from outside in onto culture. And that typically is what we tend to do. We say we are going to just infringe and push into culture instead of saying we're already in culture. Our job is to influence from the inside out. Now, like many of you, um, when you were, uh, some of you are already in, the, are in this world right now, but when I went to college, I, I was all, you know, I, I don't know how many part-time jobs I had. <laughs> and I was always looking for another part-time job when I was in college. And one of my part-time jobs, and, and you may find this hard to believe, but I was actually a donut maker. 
I did. I made donuts. I, was, I found this, this job, and uh, the donut shop wasn't a 24-hour donut shop, so I'd go in at 10 o'clock at night, and I would make donuts till 5 in the morning. And for the most part, by then I was done. I put out the display, and, and then from 5 to 6, and the donut shop opened at 5, and from 5 to 6, I would run the donut shop. And then at 6 o'clock, the, the early, morning, early morning donut person came in, and I would be out. I'd be done. By that time, I was all cleaned up and ready to go. Joni always knew when I, we were married at the time, Joni always knew I, I was home because I smelled like a glazed donut. <laughs> and I got to tell you, if you've never made donuts before, and if you like buttermilk bars, I want to tell you, there's nothing, now there's probably other things, but there's not too many things too close to heaven <laughs> than having a fresh, old-fashioned donut just glazed. It's awesome. <laughs> I don't know if this is part of my job description, but I was a donut taster, too. I tasted all the donuts, you know, that kind of thing. Well, one of the things I would do in order to make, you know, you've heard of raised, you know, they have cake donuts, and then they have raised donuts, you know, glazed raised donuts and chocolate-covered raised, all these different raised donuts. Well, in order to get them to raise at that time, I had this big old pot, and I would put in uh, some water, and I'd crumble up some yeast inside of there. Then I'd put in some, and then I would start to put it on this big mixer, and the start, mixer would start to mix it, and i start to dump. Uh, uh, what, what, what am I looking for? Flour, thank you. Flour in there, or the donut mix, whatever it was. And then it would get all that way, and then I'd take it off, and then the bottom was this dough just sitting down there. And then I would pick it up, and I would take it, and I would set it to the side, and then I'd put a towel, I'd cover it. And then I'd go over and start doing other things. Well, I would sometimes get busy and forget about this. And what didn't forget about that was the yeast. Because what was at the bottom of this pretty good size mixing bowl was this dough that yeast had infiltrated all of the dough and I would look over there and all of a sudden this this flat just dough had been sitting at the bottom of this mixing pot and all of a sudden it had grown and literally was starting to come out the side of this mixing bowl and I had to run over there and throw it back in and then I knew it was ready to start rolling it out and popping donuts out. So, so when, I, when I read this, when it talks about the fact that the yeast influences from the inside out, I, I have a visual that every time I visualize that, because I've seen it happen, where it just begins to cause this thing to happen. And that's what happens for us, that we begin as God's ambassadors to exert influence from within, not without. We begin to exert influence in our culture, and it begins to change. You see, God first changes the heart of a person. And then that internal change begins to have external manifestations. The, in, the, the, the gospel influences the culture, works that way in the Christian's life. A Christian, we as followers of Jesus, if you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you are within culture, and you are there as a change agent, slowly, many times, transforming the culture from within. And as I already shared with you, we are indigenous to our culture. We don't have to learn the language. We don't have to learn the dress. We don't have to learn the vocabulary. We don't have to learn. We just have to realize we are part of this. And we are going to begin to change from the inside out the culture in which we live. And that brings us a second observation about yeast. And compared to the kingdom of God, it's simply this. The kingdom of God initially seems ineffective. 
You know, when I first put that yeast in the dough, and if I would have just stood there, I would have think, that's not doing a thing. <laughs> Nothing's happening. Because initially, yeast looks completely ineffective. Many years ago, I won't say how many years ago, but if I was to pull up my pant leg, which I won't, because none of us want to see that. <laughs> Believe me. Uh, I have two scars right here, about this long on each side. And that is, the, that is medical progress, example right there, because those two scars represent back when I was in college and I had a knee injury and I had to get my cartilage taken care of. I had to get my cartilage removed. And in those, those, that, that same thing today, arthroscopic. You go in, whatever line you take, little pinprick, you're out, and within a few days, you're, you're walking again, you're, you're running again, you're getting that working. And that day, you went to the hospital the first day. They prepared you for surgery. The second day you had surgery, they slipped those two sides, opened that baby out, they pulled out the car, they put it back together, they put those, uh, those, the, the um, uh, stitches in. I had to have a cast on for a week. Then after that, a half cast on for another week. It was quite a thing. Well, I had never had surgery before that. And, and, and they, they put you out, of course. So the anesthesiologist comes out, and, and they begin to, they have me on the table, and they're getting ready to operate on my knee, and all of a sudden, they're, they're starting to talk and talk about this whole thing, and I'm still alert. And I'm insane to the, the, everybody who will listen to me. I hear you. I, I, I know it's good. This isn't, I, and I said this, this is not working. <laughs> And, and the anesthesiologist, me, and, and, and of course he had a mask on, so I didn't know whether he was smiling or laughing or whatever. He just said, start counting backwards from 10. And I said, okay. So I started, and it was out loud, 10, 9. I'm thinking, this is not working. They say, I know I'm in recovery. You know it's all right. <laughs> but initially, it, it wasn't working. I didn't think it was working. And, and that many times is what it seems like when, when we are understand the yeast in the dough. It's like the kingdom of God. Initially, we think it's not working. We say, we're, well, we're engaged in culture now. And we look around and say, well, it's not working. Being the kingdom of God, being yeast, the intermingling culture, it's not working. And initially, that's exactly what it seems as we are working from the inside out. The kingdom of God may have had small beginnings but it, but, it, but it will increase. The, you know, yeast is microscopic in size and only a little is put into the dough. It's only worked into the dough. But yet, given time, that yeast begins to spread and impact the entirety of the dough or the culture. And you think about Jesus' ministry as it started. It only started with a few men, 12. And one of them messed up. Now he's down to 11. But replace that guy. But that's what it started, a handful of ragtag folks that originally, you may not know this or be aware of this, but you know the original disbelievers of the resurrection of Jesus were the disciples. <laughs> they were the, they, I always tell people, they say, I don't believe in the resurrection. I say, well, you're in good company. Because the initial followers of Jesus did not believe. Because you remember the story in the gospel, one of the gospels, where the women come back from the tomb and they said, he's risen, he's alive. And Peter said, basically the guy said, I'll paraphrase. They said it more biblical. But they said, you're nuts. They're crazy women. They're, they're crazy. Didn't happen. They didn't believe it. But it was Peter who finally decided, well, I don't believe it, but I'll at least check it out. So he ran down there, and of course, we know the rest of the story. So, so I'm saying is that 
started very small and most people who are business leaders or business strategists and say well we're going to change the entirety of the world we're going to change the entirety of ultimately of western culture with these few folks and they would say no strategically that really isn't going to work <laughs> it's not a good plan not a good plan at all but over time it's changed and, and it makes progress. Now, you may feel like we're taking steps back today, and that would be a, a kind of a fair assumption because we're in a, we're in a, we're in a more adverse culture to the things of the, of the Lord than ever before, probably ever since the first century, to be honest with you. That's okay. That means this. We have a great opportunity, and the strategies of the New Testament were probably more effective now than ever before because we are a lot like the first century church. So we have great opportunity. I don't want to bemoan that, but the gospel will make progress. The kingdom may appear that it's not having influence, yet it is influencing. And I want you to be encouraged by that. The third observation is this. The kingdom of God invades, but is not intrude. It's an invading force, but it's not an intrusive force. The, the effect of the kingdom of God will be comprehensive. Just like yeast works through the dough until it's completely risen. The ultimate benefit of the kingdom of God will be worldwide. And, and you can read about that in Psalm 72, 19, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 35. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, it says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. The kingdom of God seeps. It just seeps and continues to seep and seep and seep. And over time, it will transform our culture. If we are willing to be Christ's representation where we are, his ambassadors, the kingdom of God will, will seep. It will ultimately transform our culture. It may start in pockets, but it will continue to transform. And the fourth observation I want to make, make is this. The kingdom of God results in transformation. The kingdom of God results in transformation. As I mentioned before, the nature of yeast is to grow and to change whatever it contacts when we accept Jesus, when you accepted Jesus, when I accepted Jesus, whenever that was, His grace begins to grow in our hearts and it begins to change us, change us from the inside out. And as the gospel transforms lives, starting with our life, it begins to exert its pervasive presence and its pervasive transformational work in the lives of others. As we reflect, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, reflect, as we reflect the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so as we are being transformed, personally, being transformed, which should be a, a regular process, God is continually, hopefully, if we're paying attention, working into our lives. He is kneading the yeast of the kingdom into our lives. And things that, that maybe weren't issues for us before become issues for us because God in, his, in the loving spirit takes time and he begins to work in our lives about certain things. And it begins to transform us. And we just continue to live out that transformational presence in the culture in which we exist. And I, and I want to provide you, because it's very important. I, years ago, years ago, 
there was a, a mentor in my life, and we were talking about preaching, and he always said to me, he said, Phil, always give a Monday morning sermon. <laughs> and I said, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> he says, well, you make sure when you preach the Word of God that when you have the folks that you have the opportunity to influence through your preaching, whether it be a congregation like yourself or my own congregation, he said, give them something to use on Monday. He said, nothing. he said, we can wax eloquently about theology and different things about Sunday, but if it doesn't translate into Monday, it really isn't that useful. So I want to give you two yeast principles that I think are, are good for Monday. Actually, we're good for this afternoon, but definitely for Monday. Okay? And here they are. If we, if we talk about the fact that the kingdom of God is the redemptive reign of God, and that yeast in the kingdom of God, this redemptive reign of God is like yeast that infiltrates all parts of the dough, and if we recognize that we are ambassadors, in essence, we are the yeast that represents that kingdom, what might it mean for us? Two things, just very, two quick, very, very quick things. First one is this. You are God's investment where you are. Wherever you are, that's where God has invested you. That's the dough that you are in. So you, what does that mean? Well, it means your neighborhoods, your families, your workplace, the place where you, um, if you happen to be involved in certain kinds of workouts at gyms or wherever, am I there? You, you are God's investment where you are. You are yeast there. See, sometimes we think, well, where can I be that yeast? Where can I be that transformational presence? Where are you? That's a good place. You already know the people there. You know the, the culture of your workplace, of your school, whatever it might be, your neighborhood. That's where you have the opportunity to be yeast, you, are, you have to recognize, we all have to recognize, we are God's investment where we are. And if any of you have investments, I am sure when you make that investment, you are probably expecting a return. Now, I've talk, I don't, I, well, I shouldn't say, I, I haven't talked to very many people who talked about investments. They say, well, I sure hope I lose money. I'm investing because I think it's a, it's a dog. It's terrible. I'm not going to get anything back. I think it's a great investment, though. I'm going to do it. And God has invested you where you are because he wants to have a return on his presence in that community. He wants you to be his ambassador there with people that you already know, that you can be Jesus to, and you can begin to be that infiltration from the inside out. That's the first thing for Monday. The second one is this. You never know who you'll touch until you touch who you know. You never know who you'll touch until you touch who you know. And sometimes we forget that. We're looking for that key person to influence, that one that's going to tilt the scale. And you, and you don't know who you're touching until you touch who you know. Because who you know is who Jesus wants you to touch. And if you touch who you know, you'll never know who you'll touch. You never know how God might use their life. But you've just touched who you knew. So those are the two things from Monday, to know that you are God's investment where you are, and you never know who you touch until you touch who you know. And now I want to have you see a story, short, about four minutes long, four and a half minutes long. I have two friends of mine, Nathan and Jaime, and they simply share their story, how Nathan lived out yeast in his culture and how it impacted his friend Jaime. I want you to hear their story. From the first time meeting him 
to, you know, like, hey, we're you know, going to help plan a church together. No way. It's been like a million to one odds. He used to be like, I picture him, he would have been uh, Saul back in the day, like extreme persecutor of Jesus followers. I had no like or want for any type of organized religion. As soon as he sits down with the Bible, get up and leave, and you know things I would say in my head and think about him. Um, so in that kind of way, you know that modern persecution of Christians, definitely. I mean that was that was me. So we had to rearrange a network. Who do they put next to me? They put this guy. They put Nathan right next to me. You know, and I'm just like, number one, I don't want anybody next to me. Number two, I don't want this guy next to me, you know? One day he had showed up with this shirt and it had this foot like, plastered, you know, this way. And in that foot, there was a hole. I turned to Nathan, I'm like, hey, what's up with that hole in the foot? And so we started getting into that conversation. If you know Jaime, he asks a lot of questions just about life, and if you know me, I'm not, like, I don't really talk. Like, I'd probably never talk if somebody didn't ask me a question or if I had to. Jaime was an easy uh, relationship uh, to just jump in and do whatever. And it, it helped that we both liked sports and he wanted to work out, I was already working out. Um, so God just really just, our paths like hit the same spot at the same time. I was like thinking, man, if Nathan is so happy and so positive and like nice to everybody. I wanted that secret sauce. I come from a, a life of brokenness, right? And Christ has overcome all of that and just loved me because I'm me. For me, Nathan laid down the blueprint. All Nathan did was love me because he was loved first. That is it, period. He loved me. And that's all we have to do is just love. Love our neighbors. Love the people that we work with. Love the people we go to the gym with. To say like, I, I wanted to be a pastor, um, I would say no, I would never want to be a pastor. But I realized that God calls us all at some level to, to be a pastor, whether it's just with your friends, with your family. For somebody to say, thank you for loving me like that, um, isn't that the greatest compliment you could have? I started recruiting people, you know, the last Bible study series, I got to lead it. So here I am, making fun of Nathan at work to leading a Bible study at my work. Nah, if that's not Jesus, if that's not love, you know where it is. Where I was at my life, um, to where I am now, and the path that God has taken me, it's amazing story after story with student, adult, family, whatever, that God, that Christ has let me be a part of, that has, you know, put his, you know, fingerprint on. So here we are now, getting to serve again in leadership, planning a church, which, which I never wanted to necessarily do. Um, I think I've tried to talk God out of that like 45 times, but it's just exciting. It's exciting to know that we're going down the path that God has called us to, and that we get to do it together. Uh, even though he won't hug me, um, we get to do it together, so. 
it's just something that I've, I'm called to do. It's just something that, you know, when the invitation was extended, I jumped at the chance because that's what I knew God wanted me to do, and that's what gets me. You know, why me? Why am I so lucky? Why am I so blessed? See, all Nathan was was yeast <laughs> and his workplace. That's what it was. He was God's investment where he was. And then he began to love Jaime, as you heard. It wasn't, uh, wasn't heavy-handed. They just had this relationship. And then you never know who you'll touch until you touch who you know. He got to know Jaime. He touched Jaime's life. God used him to touch Jaime's life. And Jaime came into a relationship with Jesus and began to lead Bible to his place. And now together, they are part of a launch team to have started a new church in West Roseville. In fact, in essence, as you look at church planting, that church called The Hub is actually your niece as a church. You say, what? And we, we refer to churches because it talked about the bride of Christ. And so Faith Legacy planted a church called Spring Valley, which I know a lot of you are aware of. And actually Faith Legacy was called Arcade Wesleyan at the time, but it planted your church back in the day. So in essence, you are a, a sister of Spring Valley. So your sister, Spring Valley, had another had a, had a daughter named the Hub Church. That makes them your niece. Isn't that weird? Now, that's a good Monday morning thing to figure that baby out. But all Nathan did, I just wanted you to hear that story because that, you know, you, obviously there was a lot longer task than just the four and a half minutes we tell the story. But the kingdom of God is like yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. You, me, we are to change culture. We are to connect with others. We are to make a ruckus, if you please. We are to permeate every part of the dough or our culture as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Father God, we are so grateful for the fact that you just share with the simplicity of the kingdom of God is like yeast. And Lord, the fact that we get to participate as that yeast in our part of our world, Lord, to bring your presence there. And so, Father, I would pray for each of us, Lord, to simply step back and recognize where you have invested us and then realize that we never know who we're going to touch until we touch who we know. And so, Father, we thank you for just the model of Nathan and Jaime, that Nathan just chose to live out his relationship with you in his place of work. And I don't think he picked out Jaime, but Lord, you picked out Jaime, and he happened to be there, which you used to impact Jaime, Father. May we all be that kind of follower of yours, that will simply be your investment where we are, and know that we'll never know who we touch until we touch who we know. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.